When we started this series about the good life according to God, I was down near the station and there's a supermarket down there and they just put this new billboard up and it said, the good life, and it had all the things that you could buy in the supermarket. So the good life according to a supermarket chain is to go in and get all their lovely food. But it did remind me of that scripture in Psalm 34.8 that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the Lord has given us a number of senses, sight, hearing, touch, taste, what else? Smell. What's that? Spidey sense. <laughs> um, and he wants us to experience him with all of our senses because that's the sort of generous God that he is. And so it brings us to thinking about the good life according to God. We've been in this series now for five weeks. We started with what does the good life mean as a Christian? Then we did morals and ethics. Can somebody fill in the next one for me? There was one before possessions. Thank you. <laughs> and last week we had possessions and the idea that we don't want to be possessed by what God has given us. And today we're looking at love and hate. And I think it seems quite obvious that love is central to the way that God wants us to live. But what about hate? What place does hate have in the good life according to God? Does it have any place at all? But let's begin with love because I'm sure you're very familiar with lots of sermons about love and how God loves us and how we are to be loving. So let's just um, look at some scriptures that will remind us about the loving part side of this. For God so loved us that he sent his son to die for our sins. John 3.16 Love is being patient. Love is being kind. Love is not proud. Love does not keep a record of wrong. That's Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 13 and it's read out at lots of weddings. Or when Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who hate you, that you may be like your Father in heaven. That's in Matthew 5, 45. And of course, when Jesus summed up the whole law and he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. That's in Luke 10, 27. And John, the disciple of John, he spoke about the incredible love in his gospel and in his letters, the incredible love of God, and he simply said in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. So I'm sure you know these verses. I'm sure I don't need to go into any more detail about that. So have you really thought about hate? Except to say that we don't really want to be full of hate. I remember when I was a kid and my mum would give me a dinner that I didn't like, which seemed to happen quite often, <laughs> that I would say, I hate peas or I hate tripe or I hate chocos. And, you know, I would gag on it, trying to eat it. <laughs> and she would say to me, don't hate. You can't hate things. You just don't say that you hate things. But it was okay for me to say that I loved ice cream or I loved cake. 
but he couldn't say hate. And I think that's because hate is such a strong word. It's such a strong emotional word in English. It's a powerful word. It means that we detest or loathe something really to the extreme. And I don't think that any of us would say that we hate anyone, even if we think about a terrorist or a murderer. We just simply wouldn't say that we hate them. And that's because in English, it's associated with such negative emotions. It's, it's seen as a harmful, unproductive emotion. So when Paul was writing to the Galatian church, he was speaking about living in the spirit. In other words, the good life according to God. And he said that the acts of the sinful nature are idolatry, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissensions and hatred. And he said that if we live in this way, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we know that Jesus said we are to love our enemies and we're not to react in hate, we are to react in love. And in the Old Testament, there's a lovely example of how to put love in practice. It's in Exodus chapter 23, verse 5. And it's when Moses is talking to the Israelites and they're about to begin their new life in the promised land. And he's laying out to them the good life according to God. And this is one of the things that he says. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help him with it. This is a practical example of how to love our enemies. But let's face it, it's hard to love somebody who hates you because it brings up such strong emotions of anger, resentment, bitterness. And we can feel this sort of hate when someone hurts us. When someone says things about us that are not true, we can take offence at people's words. Maybe someone disrespects us. I'm sure that you can think of lots of times where people have hurt you. And we can react to that hurt with hate. Of course, some people hurt us unintentionally. They don't mean to hurt us, but we take offence or we misunderstand what they're saying or it pushes some of our buttons from the past. And when this happens, we need to realise that the problem is really on our side. We need to recognise that the person is really not at fault. And so we need to confess that we've taken offence and come before God and just say, I'm sorry, Lord, I've taken offence at something. Because, and then we forgive the person because we don't want to be holding anything against them. And then we ask God to give us a new heart. And in this way, the emotion of hate, it loses its power. When we forgive, the, the power of hate within us is just completely gone. But sometimes people do hurt us intentionally. They cause us trauma or grief or pain. And we can react with hate. And we probably feel that it's, it's right in that situation to act in hate because we have been wronged. So what do we do with that type of hatred? We do the same. We simply confess how we're feeling to God. We just ask God to come alongside us and be with us in those feelings of rejection or hurt or whatever it is. 
And then we just ask God to help us to forgive that person. And ask God to show us how he sees that person, to give us a new heart for them. God's love for that person who's hurt us. And we do tend to think that love is an emotion. But in the Bible, it is more related to how we behave. Love is an action. It's the act of honouring someone or seeing them as being highly valued and respecting them. So, when we find ourselves hating someone or being upset with someone, Jesus gives us the way to be free of that. He gives us the power to confess, to repent, to forgive, and to give us the opportunity to love our enemy. But the Bible also talks about hate in a different way. And you will come across these verses as you read the Bible. And you might think that it's talking about the strong emotion of hatred. But there's a very refined way that hatred is used in the Bible and we need to understand it all, otherwise we risk misunderstanding the word of God. In the Hebrew language, which is the language of the Old Testament and the mother language and culture of most of the writers of the, writers of the New Testament, the word hate can occasionally mean an intense emotion. But mostly it's used to um, convey the idea of rejection or a lack of favour. So, for example, in, in 1 Malachi 3, and Paul quotes this verse in Romans 9, 9 13, God is speaking and he says... Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. Has anyone ever read that verse and wondered what it was about? Because it's God talking. Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. And you think, hmm, God's a God of love. How is it that he's hating Esau? Jacob and Esau were brothers, and Jacob received the blessing from his father that Esau should have received. And In using the word hate here, this is a Hebrew way of saying that Jacob was favoured over Esau. And the words here, love and hate, are about God showing favour to someone and not showing favour to another person. It's not the intense emotions that we associate with hate. Another way that hate is used in the Bible is when it's used to compare how much we love one thing over another thing. So in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus is speaking and he's talking about being a disciple, about how to live the good life according to God. And he says, No one can love two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot love both God and money. And in this verse, hate and love are used as a measure of the devotion that we have to God. It's not necessarily talking about that strong emotion of rejection or hatred. It's used as a comparison. If we are divided in our devotion to God and our devotion to the world, then it is as if we hate God. Another verse in the Bible where hate is used as a comparison to love is when Jesus spoke about the cost of being a disciple. And he said in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, 
If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And the word hate in this verse is not the emotion. It is the comparison that we love God so much that it looks as if we don't love our family and our own lives. Jesus is not telling us to hate our family and ourselves. He's simply saying that by comparison, your devotion to me will look like you're not devoted to your family. And there's one more way that hate is used in the Bible. And it's used to describe God's actions to things. And the Bible says that God hates. So this is not something that I was comfortable to say because my picture of God is that he's a God of love. And I was quite uncomfortable when I was doing this sermon to realize that actually God does hate. And that's because I'm associating the word love and hate with the emotions, rather than taking the Hebrew way of thinking about hate, which is rejecting something or not favoring something. But God does hate. He hates sin. He hates wickedness. He hates rebellion. So look at some of the passages that talk about what God's hates, God hates. Psalm 5.5. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. Psalm 11.5. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. Proverbs 6.16. There are six things the Lord hates. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong a false witness, and a person who sows discord. God hates these things. And we can see in these verses that God hates what is contrary to love. He hates what is contrary to his nature. As a Christian, I'm sure you've heard people say to you, and maybe you've even thought this yourself, why, if God is so loving... Does he allow such evil things to be in the world? And this question implies that God is okay with evil. That he just stands by and watches all the evil that happens. But let me assure you, God hates all evil. He hates all the evil that has ever been done in the world. He hates the evil that is happening right now as I speak. He hates the evil that will be done in the future. He hates evil. And he hates it so much that he could have simply wiped us out off the face of the earth. But he doesn't. He reacts to evil with love. He sent Jesus, his son, to die for every evil under the sun. God chooses the way of love to deal with the evil in the world. In the Old Testament, one of the ways that this is described is that God turns his face away. In hating evil, he turns his face away from the wicked. He turns his face away from the violence in that he is rejecting it, not leaving it, but rejecting it 
and he sent his son to die for all of that evil. He's not sitting there not doing anything. He's taken action. And God would have to turn his face away from us except for Jesus. Because when we accept that Jesus died for our sins, then we are hidden in Jesus. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And so he doesn't need to turn his face away from us. But while we are on earth, we are still subject to temptation and we cannot love with perfect love without Jesus. And we cannot hate without sinning. So when we find ourselves hating someone or someone, we can't let the fact that God hates sin to be an excuse for us. We can be upset about injustice and violence and all the evil we see in the world, and I think that's right. But in the way that we act, we can't act in hate. We must respond in love because that's how God responds. John, the disciple of Jesus, he often talked about love and hate and he talked about light and darkness, lightness being with Jesus and darkness being without Jesus. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, he's addressing a split in the church that happened because of false teachers. And he says, anyone who claims to be living in the light, that is anyone who claims to be a Christian, and hates their brother or sister then they are really living in darkness. And this is what holding on to hate does to us. It takes us back into the darkness instead of living in the light of Jesus. And there's a beautiful picture about living in the light and living in the dark by John Piper, who is an American pastor and writer. And the story that he wrote goes something like this. You go into a dark room and it's so dark that there's not even a shadow, you can't see anything. And on one side, you feel warm, soft fur. On the other side, you feel something cold, metallic, hard, with an edge. And so you're drawn to the warm, soft fur, because it's comforting. But when the light goes on, you see that the warm, soft fur is actually a huge monster that is about to devour you. And the cold, hard, metallic edge is the sword of the spirit that Jesus has got in his hand and he's about to slay that monster and protect you. Because when we're in the darkness, we can't see the truth of Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture of, of what we're like before we know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. But it's also true of us as Christians that we can make poor decisions, we can go towards something that feels soft and warm and furry, whereas really it's not of the light, it's not of Jesus. And we need Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit to help us to walk in the light. We can't do it on our own strength. We need God to help us and he's always there and willing to do that. He wants us to have the good life. He wants us to live in the love of God. He wants us to confess that we're not able to love others like God loves them. He wants us to forgive and to ask him for a new heart. We want to say yes to God, to live the way he shows us. We want to say yes to his love for us 
and we want to say yes to his love for others. So I want to finish by singing New Wine, which is a lovely picture about... Yeah, you come up. (laughs) Which is a beautiful picture of God doing a new thing in us. Taking something that is ordinary and making something extraordinary, sometimes through a process that maybe feels a bit uncomfortable. When we see ourselves as God's vessels, we can be an offering to him. We can come with nothing to the Lord, but his touch changes us into his people and he gives us the power to live the good life according to God. So let's stand and sing new wine. Mm.